welcome back to the Performance Pathways podcast. So today I'm here with uh, Dr. Pete Garbutt, president of FIX. Uh, I was here, he's here with us uh, taking FNOR 6 at a conference in Denver, so I couldn't pass up the opportunity to sit and have a beer with him and, and enjoy some of his insights into some of the great teaching and situations that we've been through over the past couple of days. Um, normally, our format has been to talk to people about how they got to where they got to in sport. Uh, I'll probably let Pete just talk a little bit about how he got to where he got to, his journey to, to being president of FIX, his, uh, his practice, what he does there. And he, had, uh, he and I were chatting earlier, and he had some really interesting input and probably a perspective on, on what a young practitioner should probably be looking to do to prepare themselves for, for a career as a sports chiropractor and somebody that's going to actually move the needle and make a big difference. Uh, and also, you might be able to give a bit of an insight into what the organizations who are trying to move sports chiropractic forwards at this point in time, the most progressive, uh, and I can say that because this this course that we've been on this weekend taught by Brett Jarrows, who, um, who lists Pete as, as one of his mentors, which is a huge compliment given the just extremely high quality of the material that's being taught this weekend. Um, so I'll bring in, I'll bring in Pete. Uh, Pete, let's, um, let's just start and I'll say hi and cheers. We're going to clink. Cheers, Scotsman and Aussie. <laughs> Obviously, we're enjoying a beer together. Haven't seen each other for five years. So Pete, just, um, why don't you just tell us a bit about your background and your education. I know you've you, uh, been a chiropractor for 45 years now or so. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but just take, take me through that up to, uh, up to the point where you decided you wanted to, to get into sports chiropractic and how that, how that came about. Yeah, sure. And I guess um, for me, I, I made my decision to be a chiropractor at the ripe old age of 11, um, which, you know, what if I could give that as a gift to any kid I would every day of the week. Know what you want to do early. And sports chiropractic actually came in fairly soon after that. You know, my chiropractor that uh, was treating me as a young fella just for maintenance care, you know, used to look after sports people. And then he had literature in his clinic about, um, you know, other sport, uh, sports chiropractors, uh, such as Noel Patterson, who obviously did a lot of work with uh, Fix and for, with sports chiropractic in Australia. And so I had this excitement about chiropractic and that it was part of the sports world from early on. So I studied at Macquarie University, uh, did my uh, master's there in Cairo, then also did my master's in sports chiropractic a couple of years later through Macquarie. And yeah, just so much great opportunities that arose, I guess, that got me very much into the sporting world early on, just through other avenues. You know, working my job through uni and my boss there looked after indoor soccer team. He was the coach. Yeah. So he asked me to come and help out. I found myself all of a sudden working with the National League after going through you know, club teams and National League of Indoor Soccer in, in Australia early in the piece, but starting with those club teams. So it was, it was a lot of fun. I was just working as a sports trainer. Yeah. Before you, before you were uh, – were you a chiropractor at that time well, as well? No, this is during my final years yeah. of study. Uh, so I went and got my sports trainer qualifications, and that makes a, a great way to get experience, hands-on with patients um, before you're an actual qualified doc, and also interacting with other people within the sports medicine team. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we find barriers – professional barriers once we're qualified um, they don't exist when you're a student which is beautiful so how did you how did you transcend those barriers at that point in time well as a student you're able to walk up to anyone and have a chat and ask them and then being a sports trainer it didn't matter whether i was working with a doctor a nurse a physio a chiropractor or an ambulance officer you know you're a sports trainer and that's okay and they'll deal with you as as the person that you are which is uh, yeah a wonderful way to have an introduction into that uh, whole environment was, was sports chiropractic well established in Australia at that time? Uh, so back in 95, uh, when I graduated, sports chiropractic was just going through a resurgence. It had been not particularly large, a couple of individuals doing a lot of lot of work, and then it was around that 95 that they started to actually get 
uh, sports council together. Yeah. Um, and so I was fortunate enough to actually jump in there as a student rep um, with the sports council uh, in my final two years of study as well. An exciting time, but it wasn't sort of you didn't look there saying, wow, look at all the sports chiropractic stuff going on. I want to get involved in that, uh, which I think a lot of the students now have got the excitement of. Yeah. Um, it was more some of the people, some of my mentors, such as uh, Henry Pollard, were getting involved with it. Yeah, Henry Pollard. <laughs> On, on graduation then, did you did you go straight into private practice? Did you start your own thing? or No, I was very fortunate in that uh, I went into practice with a couple of other guys who ran a sports practice. Yeah. Um, and they took me on as an associate and I actually worked there for six years oh, really? uh, for them, which, you know, it's fairly long in the terms of associateships. It's very long. <laughs> but, yeah, they were good guys to work for. They mm. exposed me to some fantastic opportunities and, uh, yeah, gave me a great grounding to then go and set my own practice up. So, so with hindsight, I know you'll say yes. That was the that was the right thing at the time. Uh, is it, would you would you change that now when when you look back? Is there do you think oh, I could have left earlier? Did you turn down other opportunities on reflection with your experience now? Do you think yeah, it was it was the right thing to stay there for six years? That's a great question because I actually don't encourage my associates to stay that long. Yeah, and largely because the associates that I get in are generally exciting people that I want to work with that I want to see go on and have their own practices and do amazing things, and many of them have done that. And so interesting that you'd say, you know, should I have done something else, but I've done something else. I don't think I would. Time again, I'd probably do the exact same thing. There's that sense that, yeah, I could have walked out and set up my own practice, but there was such a wonderful grounding that I got where I was working there and uh, gave open, open doors that I'm still, you know, leveraging off today yeah and when the time's right the time's right i think yeah uh, so you obviously mentioned having an associate so probably would be interesting to know what you look for in an associate when yeah. you're when you're recruiting because i imagine it in your position with your reputation probably you get a lot of applications when you're actually trying to fill a position so so what ticks the boxes for you yeah uh and good question it's i actually do most of my interviewing before people know they're being interviewed <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and i do a lot of that at seminars I want to see somebody who wants to learn new things, who's enthusiastic to get involved. And so when you're at a seminar and you see people that want to learn, want to find out new stuff, but also interact really well with others, they're the sort of people I, I want to work with. Yep. Uh, and so by the time I come down to having interviews, quite often I've sort of narrowed the field already. Yeah, just through those experiences. So, so you start seeing soft skills first and then the techniques and, and so forth and the patient care you can develop. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, one of the things that I don't think is, I'm not sure it's emphasised that well through our courses always, is those interpersonal skills. Yeah. Um, that's the key to being a good practitioner. The other skills you can develop. You know, you know what? I spent an extra year at chiropractic college because I failed skills. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and I often say that to people is that you know, I have enjoyed a very fortunate path through chiropractic. I failed skills. It hasn't made me a terrible practitioner. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out I was still just okay, I think. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of techniques, I mean, there's so many different options now for, for chiropractors, different courses, many inter, interdisciplinary courses. I mean, myself, I've taken, I probably now take more non-chiropractic courses and have done so now for the last four or five years. I don't even know if I could consider FNOR a strictly chiropractic course. It's really not, although it, no, it's not because it has, it's also prepared by physical therapists and functional neurologists. Would you say, are there any key, without necessarily endorsing anything, key courses or, or key skills that you think, yeah, you know, a, a, a chiropractor moving into sports really needs to be moving in this particular direction, needs to have this skill set? You've got some great questions, buddy. Um, of course, man. I guess from that perspective, I'm a little bit 
technique agnostic <laughs> in that I, I, the one thing I'd say is don't tie yourself t- to a technique and don't let that define you. Yeah. A good practitioner, I believe, has an array of different techniques they can pull out at the right time. Um, you, know, you spoke about the FNOR course that we're doing at the moment and you know, what I would suggest is that FNOR provides a framework within which you can use various different techniques. Yeah. That's the sort of thing I look for and I think is good for students is to understand a framework within which they can work. Now, I don't mind what technique practitioners use uh, as long as they use it within a responsible framework that is patient-centred, that respects the patient and also respects other practitioners. So it's probably a terrible answer to the question that you gave. No, but, I, think um, it's, I think it's the right answer, actually. I mean, at least from, from my point of view as well. I often feel like a lot of the interdisciplinary Headbutting that that goes on is, is just is just to this this constant elbowing each other about out of each other's scope or, or position of practice, and I think a lot of it stems from from misunderstanding and, yeah. and sometimes also play uh, a lack of empathy for what the other professionals are doing and yeah. maybe a, a lack of understanding. On the flip side to that, I do also see because, for example, physiotherapy or physical therapies, it's just a much larger profession. I mean, in the United States, I think there's uh, there's fifty thousand chiropractors and. I'd have to wager a hundred and something thousand physios in, yeah. in the UK. There's probably three thousand chiros, uh, and I think physios are into the thirty, forty thousand. I mean, that's uh, yeah. one is like an ant, really, compared to the other one. So, yeah, it's it, we we really probably have to excel in order to even be on the level playing field. But I do think we bring something very unique, also. So, if if you were maybe trying to define that for a for a, a chiropractor that has to maybe not justify their position, but what their elevator pitch might be if somebody says, why would I come to see you and not go to the physio? Because yeah. we are, I'll come back to, we are now also crossing the realms into into rehab and there's going to be a lot of interplay there. Yeah. I, uh, I gave a talk a number of years ago now to the Australian Institute of Sport on sports chiropractic. And one of the things that I discussed there was that with our training, there's a lot of similarities in our backgrounds and the knowledge. And you'll find that it, it's funny that there is – at times, a professional rivalry that's there, and uh, you know, it, it appears very much on a political level um, yeah. all the time. But when you get your higher schooled and skilled physios together with your higher schooled and skilled chiropractors, they tend to have a lot in common and work better together. I would suggest your lower schooled and skilled of each profession, who seem to butt heads more, but have less in common. Yeah. Um, so I, I think what Chiropractors bring to the table an understanding, a good understanding of the other professions and what's involved in physical therapy, rehabilitation, which is where the profession has has rightly evolved through. But we do bring to the table a unique perspective from which we approach it. Now, when you have a look at the differentiators, and for that we, we turn to the research where, you know, given any particular problem, a chiropractor will use manipulation more often than a physiotherapist. Yeah. So there's a difference in the way we apply our skills. Um, when you have a look at the World Health Organization's um, description of chiropractic and what they suggest is regardless of whether you're a physiotherapist, a medical doctor, a nurse, whoever you are, if you want to get the same level of skills as a graduate chiropractor, you would need a minimum of 1,500 hours of extra study. So it suggests right there, the World Health Organization, that there is a differentiator. Yeah at basic training level. So um, what, do we, what do we bring to the table? We bring to the table an understanding of the system, a unique skill set that masters manipulative skills, but not just that. And it's a really important differentiator, well, really important feature to have is that chiropractic is not a technique. 
Yeah. Chiropractic is a profession. Yeah. And a lot of people mix that up all the time. Oh, chiropractic is adjusting? Well, no, it's not. An adjustment is one of the tools that a chiropractor uses. And we need to be very careful about that because if we bring it back to adjusting, we're, we're simply a, uh, you know, a technician. Modality, basically. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and chiropractic, and that's where chiropractic has evolved and needs to continue to evolve. Mm-hmm. So I think um, one, one thing that was, had, was educational for me recently is I went for an interview. It wasn't really an interview. It was a conversation. I think when you get to a certain point, you don't really interview anymore. You have conversations and you, it either works <laughs> or it doesn't. I don't know if it's like an interview or not, but it, it was with a, a head of medicine for a, for a professional soccer team in, in Scotland about whether or not I, I was going to work with them or for them as a contract. I don't really know the, how the relationship will work out. Uh, the head of medicine there is a, is a physiotherapist and a, a well-respected one at that, at that as well. And he, uh, I went in and I wasn't really married to the outcome. I, I didn't, I, I want I want to work there. It's exciting. It's a good opportunity. But at the same time, it, it's not really going to change my life massively. In fact, in some ways it might be better if I don't do it, but, yeah. uh, but, but I'm excited for that opportunity. But I, but I said to him, he says he wants a chiropractor to be available for the players because there's, he has he puts value on it. Right. So I turned it back and I said, well, that's interesting. What do you think a chiropractor does? And he thought and he said, I don't know. He's open now to learn about it. He knows that there's value there, but it's almost a blank canvas. And it comes back to what you were saying about it at the higher levels. And I, I know this is a very high quality physiotherapist, very well respected open-minded and, and really believes in, in the, it's a non he's very he's not an egotistical individual and and he just really does want the best for his players and try to bring the best people around and i'm not saying that i'm the best people but it was uh it, it was just really refreshing to sit in there and, and really chat and interact as equals which is why i think it should be yeah and aside from that incident or question the, the matter of profession wasn't an issue it was it was more about well what, what can you do what can i bring to it they want to. They're asking, well, what, what would you do in a preseason evaluation? What what were you doing for baseline testing? And I know, for example, if I bring in a lot of this, uh, even the FNR screen, I'm a hundred percent. I know they don't do that because I know what they're doing. Yeah. And I also know it will blow not just the players but the, the support staff away. And I really think that level of preparation is not just a. It's not just something which moves you forwards, but it actually also moves the profession forwards because that's going to be. Well, there's four physios there. Yeah. Four or five strength and conditioning staff, a massage therapist, a very well respected head coach. Uh, and obviously the players, and, and you know they're going to turn around and be like, "No, did you? You have to have that those that that type of person you have to have available." Yeah, and those as much as you don't think that necessarily is something significant, it really moves. I think it really moves the profession forward. So those little grains of sand, like that's what we can contribute on an individual basis. Yeah, if we have the prep. Oh, absolutely. I was uh, on a panel discussion just recently at a seminar. And there was a number of questions around going into a multidisciplinary um, environment. And they said, you know, well, you know, you've, you've rocked up to a team. The physio heads up the team. And so how are you going to manage that? For me, I guess the big take-home that I wanted to share with the people in the crowd, and a lot of them were students, was that there's only really two things you need to do. One is be prepared to share what you know. The other one is to respect what others know. Yeah. If you work on those two bases, you're going to get along really well. You're not going to go too far wrong, and I, and I think don't be scared to you know stand your ground and and don't be frightened to, to as, as Brett would say polarize people. Yeah. It's okay to polarize people because yeah. you, you're you're going to find then your tribe, yeah, and you're going to very quickly find out 
uh, people who are not going to be conducive to working with. Yep. It's going to be a very dissatisfactory relationship anyway. Yeah. And quite destructive. Oh, yeah, and you don't want to be in that situation. It doesn't help you all there. Yeah. Or the team, yeah. or the athletes. And, and uh, that's uh, probably probably the most important thing. So um, I, I don't want to necessarily get massively into the, into the politics of it, but but from uh, from your very unique bird's bird's eye view of what's happening in in, in sports chiropractic, what what do you see coming over the next uh, let's say one year or three? I know you have a forty year plan. You said because you, I know you're going to look to your 120, <laughs> but what do you see coming in the next let's say one year, three year, five year, ten year interval? Yeah, look, um, what, what do you hope to see coming of you? Look, I, I'm super excited about where we are um, in sports chiropractic. There's opportunities coming that we've never seen before. There's doors opening that we've never seen before. And a lot of that's because of the work that, you know, other people have done. I you know, I very much stand on the shoulder, shoulders of giants here and get to reap the rewards of hard work that's been done for many years. And in But in doing so, I have a very big responsibility yep. to not screw up all the background work. But we have opportunities coming up that mean that you're going to see chiropractic integrated at a higher level with a lot, a greater variety of sports. Um, you're going to see chiropractic present at more multi-sport games. And it's about not so much more than, hey, we have a right to be there. It's, well, you know what? The athletes have a, a right to have access to sports chiropractic. Yeah. That's very much what we want to push is that idea that athletes deserve access to sports chiropractic. Yeah. And, and that's what they're there to do. We're, we're not there to fly our flag and, you know, hang, hang an Olympic flag on our wall or any other flag for that matter. We're there to serve the athletes. And so there's going to be opportunities coming up. Our build for our profession over the next 10 years is going to be really, really important. Um, the interactions that we have every time somebody, any, any sports chiropractor, regardless of their level, whether they're working with a local team, or a regional team, a national team or a big event, the interactions that they have with the athletes, with the coaches, with the admin staff, with the rest of the sports medicine team are part of the reputation that we're building. Yeah. And that's being noticed, being watched, and we you know, we need to continue to work well with the others that we're working with. One of the things that we're looking at, you know, some of the exciting stuff that's happening is we're looking to create some level of uh, standardisation globally on chiropractic education standards mm-hmm. in sports chiropractic, um, you know, which excites me because – Part of the confusion that we have when we're working with other professions in particular is they say, well, here are our standards which have been set in stone for for many years. How do I know what level you're at? We've had different levels in different countries and, you know, um, everything from no stratification within sports chiropractic to very rigid stratification. Yeah. And so being able to bring things towards a a standardised version of, this level of sports chiropractic is our entry level. This level is our, you know, competent, experienced chiropractor, and this is sort of our, our master level. These guys have been around for quite some time and have collate, have done the right things, collected the right knowledge. Gives confidence in the sports doctors, in the sports physios, uh, in the, the administrators of sports to say, great, I understand your path and where you've been, and it's very similar to the other pathways we see around the place. I see a maturation of sports chiropractic that's coming. From a political perspective, FIX is in this growth phase right now that it's blowing my mind um, how how fast we're moving but how exciting it is in professionalising the way we run the organisation. Yep. And it's been needed in FIX. 
uh, I think it's probably needed in a lot of chiropractic organisations, this this maturity um, that comes. And, you know, I have to thank uh, our current Secretary General, Mr Graham Harrison-Brown, who's not a chiropractor, but he does have a uh, Master's in Business Management and uh, Global uh, Industry, which is helping to turn fix around and, you know, make it this sustainable organisation that deals professionally with in the profession as well as outside the profession. I think that's critical and it brings to mind actually situation years and years and years ago I think when the, the British chiropractors were, were sort of dealing with the fallout from the Simon Singh uh, yeah. episode and then and you looked at the organizations and and then you look at what a lot of sports organizations are doing now and they're, they're drawing a lot of lessons from the business world and yet we've always relied so so heavily on our on our own yes and there's absolutely nothing wrong with reaching outside of the, the profession to find the right type of expertise to move us forward yeah and it also brings to mind the, the, the chiropractors that, that sort of boastfully say, oh, I don't do any advertising. I don't promote myself. And I think that, that's not this, – in this day and age, that shouldn't be like a, a badge of honor. In fact, <laughs> it, it's exactly the polar opposite of that. You should be saying, here's what I do. Here's what I stand for. And I'm going to stand up here and shout out about it and put it out there. And being an Aussie also, and one of the, the – what was interesting this weekend was the amount of uh, literature-driven information which was passed out. But not just literature-driven information, but, but practical application of information, which you don't often see. I always see people on Twitter and the internet putting out evidence-based practice this, evidence-based practice that, and, oh, here's a paper on mice <laughs> or rats and, and rats doing yoga or whatever the most recent one was on tumor growth or something like that. And I think it's um, brilliant. Thank you. I, I, I don't know <laughs> why that's interesting to people, but we're not really a million miles away from having the, the skills to actually apply a lot of that knowledge base that's been built up over the last few years. And there are people in our profession who are actually capable of integrating this into, into practice, which is, uh, is a big deal, yeah. I think. Yeah. But you have to choose your, choose your mentors wisely. Oh, yeah. I think it would be. You have to choose your mentors wisely, and you also need to have the maturity to assess what you're learning as well. Yeah. Uh, so, so important. You know, and being able, having that maturity to say, well, that doesn't make sense. I need to know why it doesn't make sense. And you either ask that question or you go and find the answer yourself. Yeah. But you, you're right. We, we've got some wonderful people that have come. And this is what part of the maturation of any profession. When you start to see this specialisation grow, you see people that have a, a, a very big interest in a maybe not very large area but they're able to then distill that information and, and to spread that out. Yeah. And so it's an exciting exciting time in our profession to see that starting to happen. So this was something I think we talked about yesterday, uh, probably not over a beer, I wouldn't have thought, <laughs> probably over a coffee or maybe over a coffee and a beer. But I think one of the, one of the nice things about having a, a more critical element to uh, and maybe the higher education part, like, doing, for example, you did a master's. I did a master's in sports medicine, which was completely separate from my chiropractic training. But I often think like the technique grab and this, um, or what you would call it, this, this, the, the race for, for more techniques and more information comes from the inability of not just chiropractors, but physios and so forth, because they're maybe only educated to an undergraduate level. They haven't been through critical analysis. They don't actually really understand how to break down a research paper and, and understand that the, the the power of the findings, the, the sample size was actually really relevant to the population. And in sports chiropractic or sports anything, we know that a lot of the research is not actually done on elite population. So it doesn't really even apply to the type of people we're working with. Yeah, uh, And that's just an observation that I've made when I, when I look at a lot of these things and, and people exposing 
evidence-based this and evidence-based that. And a lot of things we're looking at case studies today, for example, and, and you think, well, it is N equals one. Yeah. Because, because you don't know what's going to drive that individual's nervous system in a, in a specific way yeah. without having the ability to take the information, the research, and the validated tests and the reliable tests and test and retest and look at the effect your intervention had. And I think, I think that's exciting. We have people that, are, that, that have that ability. Uh, that being said, like how, how do you see our, our graduates now in, in terms of their ability to critically analyze? Are, are we giving enough emphasis to, to that, do you think, or is it something that could be improved on? I, th- I think we're a lot better than we used to be. Yeah. We- we've come a long way from that perspective. But you're, you're right in that a lot of people uh, are running around technique searching, technique shopping. Technique horrors. Yeah. L- we're looking for the answer. Yeah. And <laughs> and the whole evidence-based medicine uh, concept has been bandied around and for some people it's shackles that hold them back and for other people it's something they can't even embrace. Understanding that... Every patient that comes into you is that N equals one. Yeah. And that the research says this, but if your patient isn't the best fit for that subgroup or your patient pre- presents a little bit differently, you need to have uh, ability to reason through that. The critical thinking to say, that's the research, I understand the research and I know where the research fits, but this patient needs something else. And evidence-based medicine is about for that which there's no research or there's research against, doesn't mean you don't do it, but you do it last. Yeah. That for which there's research for, you consider first. You know, that for which there's no research at all, that's why you went to university for that long, so you can actually make a you know, critical decision on whether, whether that's appropriate or not. And obviously the other part of, you know, the other parts of evidence-based medicine are patient preference, your skills and knowledge that need to come into play there. And if we're not embracing that whole model, they were actually not even practicing evidence-based medicine. Yeah. And, and I see so many people get hung up on that and some throw it out the window saying, oh, I can't practice evidence-based medicine because it doesn't allow me to do anything. I was just, that means you don't understand enough to, to actually look at it. Yeah. And those that say, well, I can't do that because it's not evidence-based have also missed the boat. Yeah. They should probably go and have a look, look at Sackett's model of evidence-based medicine well, and just and make their own mind up about it. And- I mean, the Sackett model, what is it, 30 years old now? It's uh, almost as old as me. Yeah. Almost as old as you, so it must be 30. So, <laughs> I mean, it's such – the model is still valid as long as people actually take the time to understand what it is. Yeah. And the sad thing is that people, as I say, they bandy this around and they, they don't even understand the research or the evidence behind evidence-based medicine. And, and definitely true has become almost a shackle. And nobody wants to practice. Nobody does their best work from a place of fear. No. It's just not possible. And you know what? If you, know, you go back to how the students coming out, and I would suggest that that's probably if I was going to make a some sort of slide on the students coming out, is they're scared. Yeah, they're they're scared to practice. They're scared of what might happen if you know, if they treat a patient. <laughs> um, that's sad. They should be excited. Chiropractic is exciting. Every day I'm excited by the opportunities I get, the results I get to see the lives that you get to touch and be of service to. So how would one overcome those fears? Uh, I think it's really important as students to actually get out and observe a variety of chiropractors. Yeah, 100%. So important. Uh, I mean, I you know, students come through my clinic all the time and I open my doors to physio students, massage students, you know, medical students, any, any that want to come through and you know, obviously chiropractic students as well. You know, having them exposed to the excitement that is practice. Um, is is so important yeah. to to give them some of that confidence that guess what 
that patient's going to come through the door and I don't have the answer every time that patient comes through the door. Sometimes I've got to sit back and you know, have a look at things and have another look at things and have another look at things before I've got any idea of what the answer might be. And so you shouldn't be scared of not knowing the answer when a patient walks through the door. And all your patients get better, right, every single one? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, well that, that's a beautiful myth. <laughs> I, I, I like that. You tend to see your successes. Yeah. The guy next door sees your failures. Um, and if you're smart enough, you send them next door. Yeah. Before they go there of their own accord. Yeah. Mate, nobody makes everyone better all the time. And don't care who you are. But a good practitioner knows when to refer off, has yeah. a good network around them, and use that network early. Don't be ashamed that what you've got to bring to the table didn't work because also what you've got to bring to the table is your network around you. Yeah. So build the network. Yeah. Any tips? Any thoughts? Be a person rather than a chiropractor. Yeah, that's fair. Probably one of the best lessons for me was starting to interact with Sports Medicine Australia before chiropractors were allowed to be members. When you go in there not trying to push your political barrow or your professional barrow and you go in there to contribute to a community, then you become part of that community. Yeah. If you go in there to bludgeon someone over the head with chiropractic or your own brand, regardless of what it is, walls go up very quickly. Yeah, understandably. And I would too if somebody came to me like that. So on that on that theme, and not, not that I want to necessarily be negative, but I have spoken to a few few students and I did sometimes get the get the idea that I think they maybe had unrealistic expectations of, of what it takes to, to maybe get into the upper echelons or or work for a professional team. You, you have any any thoughts on that? I know you're going to go with this. I mean, it, yeah, yeah. hard work and authenticity. And- yeah, well, it, I guess part of that is understanding how other people got there. Yeah. And when I say other people, I don't necessarily mean just other sports chiropractors. How did the athlete get there? Did the athlete wake up one day and decide they're going to be, you know, a professional athlete, an Olympic athlete, a you know, world champion athlete? No. They started at the local level and they – competed there and they saw some success and they worked really hard so they could get to the regional level. And when they were there, they worked really hard so they could get to the state level and they built through those different levels until they became a professional athlete, an Olympic athlete, a world champion athlete. They didn't walk out one day expecting to step into that level. They worked very hard to get there. And you know what? Their coaches did too. Their coaches coached at the local level and the regional level and the state level and so forth. And you'll probably find that a lot of the physios that are working with the team did the same thing too. Mm-hmm. A chiropractor, we're, we're not anything special from that perspective. If we haven't spent the time, the base level, and then built our experience up and our relationships up and worked through those, we have no right to expect to walk into you know, some national level, international level professional position simply because of our qualification. Yeah. That, that, that's not what it takes. And I think even if you could fake it till you made it, you would get found out so quickly that you would you would never recover. Well, the thing is that not only would you never recover, but the disservice you do to the profession, immeasurable. Yeah. There, there's so many opportunities where we could potentially have our whole profession put back by decades by people doing the wrong thing. Yeah. And we have had in the past. That's happened. And not because anyone went out to do that, but just wrongly happened at the wrong time and that goes... That goes against us. We need to be prepared to actually be in the positions that we're in. And I think that's where, where the importance of being org- involved with an organization is, is 
critical, really, because if you do want to get into sports and everything else, another society, and I don't want to go to these these meetings, and I don't want to necessarily spend the time, but, but I think you have to understand what, what is realistic for the profession, what types of opportunities are there. Like I may personally think of myself as somebody who's going to do a head of medicine role. The fact of the matter is, the minimum expectation for that is you're going to be a physio. So guess what? I'm not physio. I'm not getting <laughs> that job, no matter what I think about it. Yeah. No matter how well prepared I think I am for that, just you're not you're not going to get it. Yep. I think in this sense, there's there's strength in number and strength in in unity. Yeah. So I mean, obviously in Australia, I mean, what was your uh, your numbers for participation in the sports educational events which you've been running are are, are strong and I say quite exciting. And I, I really enjoyed actually the recent presentation I gave on what I would say is like a fairly esoteric theme for chiropractors. It was on it was on recovery really. Yeah. Uh, and. I, I see that now diversity of, of interest. We're, we're becoming very, I think, knowledgeable across a broad base of, of different things. How, how, how do you see this type of information being diffused across now and what's, what's coming up regionally for you in Australia and maybe internationally? Look, the, the, distribution, the distribution of information is exciting right now. Uh, and I often say, I, I say to patients all the time that come in and say that their GP is hopeless and doesn't know anything, I say, look, Understand the position these guys are in. We go back 50 years and a GP knew all there was to know about medicine because they went through medical school where you got the medical textbooks and you had access to the medical journals. Yeah. And nobody else had access to that. Now, I could read any medical journal I want, any any medical textbook I can have on my doorstep in 48 hours. I can be as knowledgeable as any medical doctor on anything I want. And that's a double-edged sword. So for us, what that opportunity brings is that there's so many ways that we can get information. So within Sports Corporate Australia, Luke Nelson, who's the uh, recently uh, uh, in place president there, has done a fantastic job over recent years in you know getting the webinar series going, which you were a part of, mate, and uh, such great feedback from your talk too, by the way. Uh, oh, I really enjoyed that. It's great. And you don't have to say that. I mean, no, no, I appreciate it's, it, it's, it's the first one. But I mean, Luke seeks to get chiropractors speaking, but half of the speakers he gets are non-chiropractors. Yeah. You know, that's purposeful to broaden our um, information gaining uh, where we get it from. And that also helps to then drive the seminars that you know, have become really successful. We're now over 200 people at the uh, annual symposium uh, with two streams going and over 20 speakers, which for me is the exciting part. Yeah. Is that we've got a group of people coming through in sports chiropractic now that want to share their knowledge. They're coming in such different diverse areas, bringing to the table what they've got, which is fantastic. And so from a learning perspective, so many opportunities. From a teaching perspective, so many opportunities. Again, we see this maturing of the profession through through learning and that excitement of knowledge. And these people getting together, loving doing what we do, loving learning from each other. And uh, so, yeah, the, the webinars are a big thing. The seminars, the, the seminars, you know, getting there, meeting people. Yeah, um, network is massive. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that uh, collegiality that we get actually physically being with somebody, getting a chance to whether it's have a beer, have a coffee, learn together, chat about what happened during the day is absolutely invaluable. It's invaluable for our profession. It's invaluable for uh, as a whole and politically. You know, at our recent one in Australia, we had, I think, three very high-level physiotherapists there as vendors uh, work, you know, in the trade area who came in and watched some of the presentations. Actually, a couple of them were presenting themselves and were super impressed by 
the level of teaching that was going on there, by the level of students that were there and what they wanted to know. And, in fact, it's actually led to bridges being built um, between some of those physios and sports chiropractic Australia that it is, again, taking the profession forward. So these learning opportunities are so much more than just going to a seminar. Yeah, absolutely. And, and face-to-face is just not the same as is on the phone. Or, I mean, no. it's, it's very different. And, you know, it's, it's good because I feel like the, the, the profession, I mean, I feel like 10, 10 years ago, I think we went through a pretty grim time. Yeah. And I actually do see now the, the green shoots of recovery in, in a lot of senses and evolution, which is, which is pleasing. I mean, yeah. it's really pleasing and exciting. So um, let's uh, move away from this and, and start to tie up. It's, it's been unfair that I haven't let you at least mention enhanced running. <laughs> uh, and a few, well, that's how we really met initially. Yeah. So you, you came to, came to Denver and, and taught on a very truncated version of the enhanced running course that you do. Uh, so I can't overstate what a, good opportunity it's been to actually speak to you and and have you here and, and chat and without blowing too much smoke up your backside there's also like three or four other people upstairs that, that actually equally uh fantastic uh people that were around so take us out Pete. just just tell us a bit about if, if people want to find more about enhanced running which i haven't we haven't even mentioned uh your practice uh, if, if people i know you're a super busy dude but if people do want to learn more about fix some of the initiatives you're launching um and, and i'll list these also on the website but uh, just, just give me a quick, quick synopsis. Yeah, no, no worries, mate. Look, I appreciate that. And don't worry, I'm not busy. <laughs> You're like, busy. No, mate, I used to do busy, but busy. Yeah. Nobody has fun when they're busy. No, I, I have fun. Pete's so, engaged. Is so, extremely so I engaged. I gave up being busy. Um, so look, enhanced running, mate. It, it's awesome. I love it. It was a, it was an extension of my discovery of uh, re relearning how to run, which allowed me to run again after not being able to run. Um, so it's about making running easy. Um, yeah. You know, I think I mentioned to you yesterday, when you watch a, a child run, they can't help but smile because running is that expression of life and vitality in its fullest. Yeah. We lose that somewhere along the way. I want to help people regain that. You know, you should smile when you run because it's fun. Yeah. You know, I, when I teach the course, I tell people you have to find new uh, exercises to do because running is not exercise. Running is just moving and, and loving life. So enhance running, uh, enhance running.com or enhancedrunning.com.au will take you through to the site. Uh, you'll find out where uh, some of our instructors are. The book's on there. You can uh, get a link to that, which will uh, give you pretty much everything you need to know. Um, and we have uh, teaching courses so that you c- people can teach enhanced running as well, uh, running on a periodic basis too. So that's good fun from a fixed perspective. Yeah, hit me up uh, at peter.enhancedrunning.com.au or uh, through Facebook. More than happy to take uh, chats through there, answer questions on fix at any time that people want to have. Yeah, I'm very much an open book from that perspective, mate. I, uh, I invite people to send me questions, ask me things, ask advice. Um, the more I can contribute to help people enjoy and develop through sports chiropractic, um, more than happy to do that because uh, I, I love it. I want to share that joy. I want other people to have that joy because they're, they're getting the right information and uh, they're enjoying the ride. Happy days. Well, Luke, I, I want to be as authentic as possible and, and just say that uh, this has been great. I think this is going to be just a, a, a great uh, learning resource for people to listen to and a real privilege to have Pete on this. Um, but but more so is uh, our beers have now run out. So we're going to tie things up. Thanks so much again, Pete, for, for coming on. So thank you for listening to this Pathways to Performance podcast. We hope that you find this episode engaging and as interesting as we did. Join us next time as we continue to explore the journeys of other high-performance practitioners in elite sport.